under surveillance. Chinese-made cranes on American ports are coming under scrutiny. That's over fears they could be used for spying. But what information could Beijing get from them? And how does data on what Americans are moving in and out of ports relate to national security? Besides that, what if China shuts down the cranes remotely? Would we run into the same snarled supply chains that popped up during the pandemic? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. The Chinese spy balloon has been shot down, but an even bigger danger might be quietly stationed on land. Chinese spy cranes. These giant Chinese-made cranes have dominated American ports for years. And U.S. officials fear China could be using them to gather intel on important American shipping data. Let's take a closer look. Around 80% of the cranes in American ports were made in China. They're made by Chinese manufacturer ZPMC. These cranes are used to load and unload container ships. Pentagon officials compared these cranes to a Trojan horse because China may be able to track what America is moving in and out of the country with advanced sensors and cameras. Why does it matter, right, if China knows where the U.S. is moving in and out of the country? We talked to former White House intelligence official Michael Sikora. Sakura says China's strategy is to gather different pieces of data to put together a complete picture of what the U.S. is doing. And if you're tracking what hardware comes in, where it's going, you can see from a commercial sector what's going on. You can also see from a military perspective in terms of what units are there, what size they are, what sort of gear they're getting in for training, which then strongly indicates exactly what they're expecting to be deployed. Aside from monitoring containers, for years people have wondered if China could control them remotely. Maritime historian Sal Mercogliano has been talking about this for over a year on his YouTube channel called What is Going On With Shipping? There's a definite concern here, according to him. If the cranes were able to be disabled, turned off, or damaged in a way, it would have a catastrophic impact on the port. What we saw during the height of COVID during the supply chain crisis would be magnified at ports around the United States because you would not be able to effectively move containers on and off the vessels. A logistics expert, Ross Kennedy, who's worked with ships and ports for 20 years, told us that China could have a better idea of how to hurt America with the data it collects. If you take data that's coming off these ZPMC cranes, what you then begin to be able to do is really quantify the, the health of the entire economy of the United States by knowing what we're truly shipping and what we're not shipping, what we're importing and not importing. When you overlay that with all the other data that's available to someone who's an economic planner or supply chain analyst, they can begin to get a very clear picture of what we're strong in and what we're weak in economically. Now, to put it simply, these cranes could track what's going in and out of the country. China could shut down all the cranes, and China could even control the cranes remotely. What can be done? Kennedy argues we should just get rid of them. The simplest and most straightforward way to go about it is for the U.S. government to subsidize those ports authorities, to rip the ZPMCs out all the way, send them to the scrapyard, or put them on a ship back to China and say, here, we don't want your cranes anymore, and install cranes that are manufactured by by companies and countries that are definitely integrated with the U.S.'s national security interests. Former White House intelligence official Michael Sikora believes this is a complex problem and that we need a complex solution to solve it. We're not going to solve it with one technology, one solution, one whatever. So it took time to put it in place. It's going to take time to take it out of place. And to do that, we have to do it in a way 
that our resources are utilized the most effective way to minimize the risk as much as possible at each step. Apple is shifting more of its production out of China as the tech giant works to diversify its supply chain, and it might happen faster than anticipated. Apple's manufacturing partner Foxconn plans to build a $700 million plant in India. That's according to Bloomberg News. The plant will be one of Foxconn's biggest yet in the country. State officials add the factory would generate around 100,000 jobs in the next 10 years. Bloomberg analysts explain that for Foxconn, the plan may, quote, herald an accelerated relocation from China. Beijing's strict virus restrictions disrupted the making of new iPhones and other devices there. Apple also hopes to avoid a hit to its business amid growing tensions between Washington and Beijing. Besides Apple, other tech companies are joining the shift. Last month, AirPods maker Gore-Tec announced a $280 billion investment in a new plant in Vietnam. The company also revealed it's considering other expansion in India. It's not just tech giants leaving China either. The country is no longer the top three investment destination for most U.S. firms. This, according to a recent survey by the American Chamber of Commerce in China. It marks a first for the entire 25-year history of the survey. Here's more. More than 50% of businesses in China are not making a profit, also a first for the survey. Almost a quarter are looking for locations other than China. Businesses want to de-risk their supply chain. Most members report that they are revising their investment plans for China. Some are decreasing investment and some are stopping investment altogether. Top reasons for decreasing investment is uncertainty around China's policy environment, as well as the expectation of slower economic growth in China and overall uncertainty in the U.S.-China economic relationship. 24% of members are considering moving capacity out of China. Elf Cosmetics is leaving the Chinese market. The U.S.-based beauty brand says its departure is coming March 31st and that its flagship store, based on e-shopping site Tmall and social media app Douyin, will shutter two weeks before that on March 15th. The shop opened in 2018. The company cited global strategy adjustments and other objective factors and a notice on its Tmall page. As part of an online clearance sale, around 30 products were still available to buy through its Tmall and Doing shop when the news broke. All of them priced at a discount. Other products sold out quickly. Nearly all ELF products are still made in China. The move follows in the footsteps of several other beauty brands, U.S.-based Revlon and Too Faced, owned by Estee Lauder, plus Dubai-based Huda Beauty. Revlon announced the shutdown of its Tmall store in mid-March. Huda shut down its own last month. And Too Faced did the same last July. Beijing still blocking U.S. probes into the origin of COVID-19. That's according to two Congress members, Connecticut Democrat Jim Himes and Ohio Republican Mike Turner. Speaking on NBC's Meet the Press, Congressman Himes explained the U.S. has so few facts about the virus origin, quote, because the Chinese regime has obfuscated. It may be forever before we actually know exactly what happened. We need the Chinese to cooperate. Don't we need Himes is the ranking Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee. Controversy over the virus origin rocketed back into the spotlight last month. That's after classified documents from the Energy Department to the White House got leaked. It allegedly labeled the Wuhan lab leak theory as the most likely source of the pandemic. 
the department has not made an official comment. Debate still surrounds the virus origin issue, and lawmakers, officials, and federal agencies have voiced various opinions. From FBI Director Christopher Reyes, saying the initial outbreak was likely a lab incident in Wuhan, to the Office of the National Intelligence Director, stating it was most likely caused by national exposure to an infected animal. The Chinese regime denies the possibility of a lab leak. The United States should work to quickly end the Ukraine war so it can focus on its main global threat, the Chinese Communist Party. That's what Keith Kellogg, a retired Army general and the former National Security Advisor to Vice President Mike Pence, said in a recent interview. Speaking to Yanni Akelik, host of American Thought Leaders, Kellogg said the U.S. military should fight only one enemy at a time. Here's his breakdown. When you look at what happened in this administration, you know, in their national security policy, they don't call anybody an adversary. They don't call the Russians an adversary, and they don't call the Chinese an adversary. They call them competitors. Look, France is a competitor. China is an adversary, and we need to look at it. He said until the U.S. takes the Russians off the stage, it can't focus on the predominant threat, China. Kellogg emphasized that the United States should do everything it can to help Ukraine stand up against the Russian army and negotiate with Russia's leadership. I would give Putin a choice. And if I was the president of the United States, you pick up the phone, which President Biden has not done. You pick up the phone and call Putin and say, you got an option. You know, we're going to negotiate. And because there's no, been no negotiations, and we should, you're going to lose your army in Ukraine, or you're going to take it home. One of the two. It's going to be your choice. Meanwhile, China says it's decided not to deliver weapons to Russia. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen stated, we must observe it every day. Arlene Richards, NTD News. The Canadian government will investigate allegations of Chinese election interference. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau made the announcement on Monday. Here's what he said. In the coming days, we will appoint an eminent Canadian to the position of independent special rapporteur who will have a wide mandate to make expert recommendations on protecting and enhancing Canadians' faith in our democracy. Apart from an independent special rapporteur, there will also be separate new probes into the suspected foreign interference. Canadian media recently published detailed reports alleging schemes by the Chinese regime to interfere in Canada's election in 2021 and 2019. The report cited anonymous intelligence sources. Last month, a former Canadian ambassador to China testified at a hearing before Canadian Congress. During his speech, Charles Burton said the Chinese Communist Party had used Chinese-language media in Canada to intervene in Canada's 2021 federal election. In September of that year, then-popular Conservative Member of Parliament Kenny Chiu lost his seat. But Burton believes Chiu might still be in office if it weren't for a Beijing disinformation campaign. I think what happened in the case of Mr. Chu was that on the same day as there was a, a poll that came out that showed that the Conservatives might achieve a minority government, then this uh, massive campaign of disinformation on multiple Chinese language websites directed at people in Canada appeared. Chu voted to declare China's treatment of Uyghurs in Xinjiang region as genocide. And in Europe, Germany is planning to ban Chinese telecom gear companies Huawei and ZTE from its 5G networks. The ban could include components already built into the networks. Let's zoom in on Berlin's plan. 
Germany is in the midst of a broad re-evaluation of its relationship with top trade partner China. This includes eliminating security risks posed by the Chinese companies Huawei and ZTE. Critics say their embedding in the mobile networks of the future could give Chinese spies and even saboteurs access to vast swaths of critical infrastructure. Germany passed an IT security law in 2021. It sets high hurdles for manufacturers of telecom equipment for next-generation networks. However, it does not ban Huawei and ZTE, as some other countries have already done. A new report shows that Germany has become even more dependent on Huawei for its 5G radio access network equipment than in its 4G network. Chinese-owned social media app TikTok is also facing more scrutiny in Europe. The French Senate has launched an investigation into the app, looking into security risks connected with it, as well as the possibility of it causing psychological harm to its largely young audience. Amid a widespread fiscal crisis, Beijing is calling on local officials to tighten their belts. That has a budget deficit of more than $800 billion, dims the outlook for 2023. Let's take a closer look. In the run-up to China's parliamentary sessions, Finance Minister Liu Kun reported on the country's public budget overdraft last year. The figure, a staggering 6 trillion yuan, or more than $860 billion. To lower debt levels, Liu urged local authorities to cut the cost of administrative operations. But where did the big bucks end up? An Epic Times columnist says they went towards footing the bill for the CCP's three-year zero-COVID-19 policy. Many cities, for example, scrambled to build temporary COVID-19 hospitals, though they have all been torn down by now. And the communists forced citizens into mass COVID-19 testing, which was also a hefty expense. Estimates suggest that in 2022, the Chinese regime spent more than $50 billion on anti-COVID-19 measures. The figure reached up to 3% of the country's GDP for that year. In the capital city of Beijing alone, health spending totaled $4.5 billion, up 140% from 2020. To fill the gap, news broke that local governments are cutting civil service salaries. Meanwhile, protests have recently spread across several cities, as retirees railed against slashes to their health care benefits. Last year, the regime diverted funds from urban health insurance for COVID-19 testing. It wants an excuse to spend this money. That's why it's now staging health insurance reforms and cutting benefits for recipients. An even worse scenario kicked off last July. Residents in some regions reported cases of frozen bank accounts that left their deposits in limbo. Whenever there is a fiscal deficit, the CCP will first deny it, then it sneaks around the problem by diverting money from elsewhere, not only the health insurance fund, but also residents' savings in the bank. That's why many people can't access their deposits. Though it wasn't just COVID-19 curbs that drained Beijing's coffers, Wu added that other factors include China's shrinking real estate market and its pricey Belt and Road Initiative. Coming up, is the U.S. at war with China? With Confucius Institute spreading Beijing's propaganda on American campuses, Chinese police stations popping up on U.S. soil, and agencies keeping ties to Beijing's influence operations, we speak to John Mills, former director of cybersecurity policy at the Pentagon, for insight. His comment in just a minute, here on China in Focus.
Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. An agency called the Committee of 100 is in the spotlight. What ties does it hold to Beijing's foreign influence arm, the United Front Work Department? We speak to John Mills, former director of cybersecurity policy at the Pentagon, for insight. John Mills, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thank you, Tiffany. Always an honor to be on, on your show with you. So it seems there's been more focus on, say, Confucius Institutes on American campuses, getting them removed, and then also, say, these illegal police service stations that are popping up, not just across America, but also in other countries. But there's also new committees that are coming to light. For instance, there's this one called the Committee of 100 that really tries to bolster ties between the U.S. and China. What do you know about this committee? What are maybe some of the concerns here? Well... It, it concerns me. The Committee of 100, uh, clearly, if you look at a number of the, the members, uh, I know, you know I'm from Washington State. I noticed Gary Locke, former governor, uh, who clearly has uh, shown indications of uh, uh, affiliation and a, a, a fondness toward the CCP, is on there. In fact, just about everybody that I saw seemed to have of an affiliation not with China, an affinity not with China, but with the CCP. So I think it's a grave concern, and uh, the FBI needs to apply resources to looking into this and looking into this connection. I want to touch on those ties to especially the Chinese Communist Party, as you mentioned they're not here to try and help the Chinese people. And it seems in 2018, a report by the Hoover Institution noted that a lot of the committee members have ties to, say, the United Front and all these different influence campaigns. So what are some of the unknown ties to the CCP that we may have here? Well, if there is, and, and this is several of the, of the California Congress uh, persons, uh, uh, you know, Judy, Judy Chu, Ted Lieu, uh, you know, they, they will uh, say, hey, you know, we're not, you know, we're again, we're just an advocacy group for uh, the goodness of China-American relations. As soon as there is a connection with the United Front, uh, you know, it, just everything is off the table. There's no question. And this is where Ted Lieu has been uh, several times been, been uh, uh, caught attending or participating in group in events that have the... Uh, United Front. Uh, so it's just, it's just sheer uh, evasiveness to not come clean and and on this matter. And at this point in time, uh, the the FBI and the Department of Justice just simply have to spend more rigor and time on these matters and topics. And speaking of Rep. Judy Chu, it seems there's another report by the Daily Caller that was actually from last year talking about Dominic Ng, who's back in the spotlight recently, too, as the Biden appointed him recently. And the previous report by the Daily Caller pointed out that he was a former chairman of this committee of 100. And at the time, the committee actually wrote back, being like, you know, this is all slander and lies. So what is concerning about these ties? Why should Americans care if there are these ties? Well, it's it's a front group for Chinese Communist Party activity, just like the police station, and I'm very, this whole police station issue and topic has been raised for a number of weeks now, and I, I see very little energy. I have, I have yet to see uh, uh, robust actions by the FBI 
This is absolutely an assault on American sovereignty or any country's sovereignty to have a a police station is an extension just like an embassy or a consulate. And how dare another country establish a police station inside America? And it's, it's shameful and, and disappointing that Department of Justice and FBI are not on top of this. And on that note, John, what should those actions look like if the departments were prioritizing this? What should they actually look like? Well, with the police station issue, anything with any kind of a coordination role with any entity in the, 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 the government of the People's Republic of China automatically should be shut down if uh, it has not been officially uh, filed, presented, and approved by State Department. Uh, State Department is the official maintainer of all these lists, and uh, so they have a key role to play. I mean, if Russia was, was creating police stations in the United States, they'd sure be on top of it. And Russia is the junior partner to the uh, senior partner, China. So I, we need to see more energy out of the U.S. government on these topics. And John, why do you think there is that lack of attention? Does it tie into a bigger picture of elite capture or what are the reasons here? Elite capture is a real thing. It is an accurate term. And it's how those who control the institutions of America, big tech, big government, big academia, big finance, the Chinese Communist Party strategically pursued them and wooed them to be on their side. Eric Swalwell, perfect example, U.S. congressman. And, you know, I, I believe my boss and I had an encounter with Fang Fang when we were on a trip uh, to uh, Silicon Valley a number of years ago. Uh, you know, so, uh, but that was before Fang Fang and a swallow were even a story. But, you know, we had an encounter, who I believe it was Fang Fang, who uh, came up to us at a, uh, an event in Silicon Valley. This was an active, strategic campaign to uh, seize mental control and sometimes financial control of these uh, these leadership personalities. And John, with all of these different avenues, if we say even the Confucius Institute pushing propaganda on campuses or these police stations or now these different committees, basically helping the Chinese Communist Party, what is the ultimate goal here? Is it actually waging a war? What's happening? Are we already in a war? We are in a war and we have been. Things are going into overdrive. And uh, I'm, I'm very uh, concerned. This is a strategic campaign to win without firing a shot, uh, but things are, are rapidly turning that direction anyway. Before we, we came on the air, uh, I caught my attention to report that uh, Air Mobility Command, which uh, General Minahan, who caused a kerfuffle uh, a few weeks ago with his go-to-war letter, letters, because there were supposed to be eight in that series. I, have, I don't think we've seen letter number two. But they've taken all the tail numbers and identification off of air mobility air aircraft. That is a getting ready for the real thing. That, that's what we do. That, that it's called wartime mode. General Minahan is very wisely moving his command, those under his command, into a wartime footing. It also demonstrates readiness. It demonstrates deterrence which at least General Minahan, I think Admiral Aquilino at, at Indo-Pacific Command is also on the right side of the teams. 
And John, speaking of that trajectory or that escalation, what should the concerned citizen be doing if they are worried about this? Well, I would absolutely, uh, I would even bring this up at county council meetings about preparedness in the county, evacuation plans, shelter in place plans. What if something happens? What if there's a kinetic strike directly on, on sovereign U.S. territory? I would actually bring it up, and again, bring it up in reasoned tones, but these are reasonable preparedness measures uh, at the immediate level where we live. John, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Thank you, Tiffany. Always an honor to be on your show. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.